Hey y'all, this is Vera Payam and you are tuned into the KW1S podcast. Most of you probably know me from Chatterbait. Uh, I perform there three nights a week. If you're interested in my adult content or any of my Chatterbait shows, you can follow me on Twitter at KinkyWild1. So while Chatterbait has been a really great platform for me to act out and share all of my perverted fantasies, it hasn't really been the best platform for me to fully express my thoughts on ethics, kink, and human sexuality. So I decided to create this podcast for several reasons. The first one, uh, I'm not in the men's words. I got some pretty fucked up fantasies. I got some very taboo roleplays, and I've got some pretty hardcore kinks. An average night in my room on Chatterbait usually consists of fantasies like rough sets, forced play, incest role play, consensual non-consent, blackmail, cheating, cuckolding, revenge fucks, hate fucks, you know, all the all the lovely juicy kinkiness. <laughs> um, and and I love to talk about all the best parts of my sexual history, like gangbangs, sex parties, orgies, and all that good stuff. And it's fine to talk about my experiences and my fantasies, but I also have a responsibility to address all of the safety, consent, and ethics that made it possible for those fantasies to become a reality. A lot of behind-the-scenes work, like communication and trust-building, goes into creating spaces where we feel safe and supported enough to explore in those ways. I believe, personally, that when done in a healthy way, sex can be an amazing source of connection, healing, joy, and just immense physical pleasure. But when done in a healthy way, it can be just as damaging. And I know that there's, and I'm really stoked right now because right now there are a lot of really great conversations emerging around poly, rape, rape culture, consent. And it's made a lot of new people, you know, it's made a lot of new people, Fifty Shades of Curious, about kink and who we are and what we do. And so for those reasons, I felt that it was imperative for me to use my platform, not only for my own benefit, but to also help further the conversation on safer kink practices, establishing consent, and just promoting more sex positivity in our culture. Um, the next reason I wanted to do this podcast is I really want to be a resource for you guys. I've been fortunate enough to be part of the Southern California BDSM community for quite some time, and I have a fairly large poly community that I've been able to, to learn from and explore with. However, not everyone has access to these kinds of community resources. Maybe you're not in a good location, or maybe there's just not a lot of kinksters around you. I know a lot of my fans have mentioned that they live in the Bible Belt, and it isn't always exactly the safest place to express your sexuality or even talk about having certain kinds of desires. And it's hard enough to explore sexuality as it is, but being kinky definitely provides some extra challenges. And if your kinks are are taboo or really specific or really fucking out there like mine, then you definitely got it twice as hard. And so I want to be a resource for people who have questions about kink or are curious about exploring their own. Not so much like a how-to guide, because there's really no one, you know, there's really no one way for everyone to explore their sexuality, but more just sharing some tips and tricks that things that I've personally learned and that have benefited me in my journey and that I hope I can share with you and will benefit you and yours. So how is my show going to be different? Uh, I know there's a lot of podcasts out there that talk about sex and kink. Some are advice columns. Some emphasize the inherent entertainment value of kink. 
and others offer you know scientific and educational resources on the nuts and bolts of human sexuality. But what I'm hoping to bring to the table with this podcast is a better understanding of what ethics and social responsibility and kink look like, both in practice and in theory. We have a lot of examples and conversations around what not to do and what doesn't work, but I'd really like to examine how we can find better ways that are going to work for everyone. I especially think that given the current political atmosphere here in the U.S., we should all be talking about and thinking about ethical uses and ethical and responsible uses of power. Now, politics to me are frankly boring and irrelevant. What I want to talk about is ethics. When exploring our sexuality, we are responsible for the safety of not only ourselves, but also for the people that we play with. And we need to hold ourselves and each other accountable for playing with power in a safe and healthy way. And before we can talk about it, we need to know, and before we can play with it, we need to know what it is that we're playing with. And lastly, the other reason I want to do this podcast is I wanted a space where you guys can just get to know me better and understand why I do the things I do on a more real level. I don't think my opinion is any more unique and special than anyone else's, nor do I claim to have all the answers for your sex life, but I do think I'm pretty qualified to talk about kink and ethics. I've got over a decade of real world experience, safely navigating kink, BDSM, and poly, both in my interpersonal relationships and being part of a larger community. And I'm also highly educated with a really strong research background. So on a personal level, I've been kinky for as long as I can remember. <laughs> Those of you who've watched my shows have heard these stories many, many times over. I, I remember having my first sexual fantasy when I was four. By the time I was nine, I was trying to, to peek at the scrambled porn on TV. I was having consensual non-consent or rape fantasies, quote unquote, uh, by the time I was 12. I found BDSM by the time I was 19, and I was in a call and I was a college slave in a male-dominant heterosexual leather relationship, MDHL, before I even hit my 21st birthday. Uh, and of course from there, it didn't take me too long to find poly, sex parties, orgies, and all that, all that fun stuff. But you gotta imagine that for me, from an early age, I had to navigate having these really intense fantasies and sexual desires. Like, what is this? What do I do with this? How do I get my needs met safely? And how do I safely manage and navigate these feelings in a, in a healthy way. So I've been working on the answers to these questions for, uh, for well over a decade now, and even still I find myself every day asking new questions and coming up with new solutions. So not only do I have personal experience navigating BDSM, kink, and poly relationships, but I also have a stronger research and educational background than most. I graduated college in 2015, that would be about a year and a half ago as of this recording, with a bachelor's degree from the California State University in sociology and communication studies. I was a double major, which means that I did twice as much theory, twice as much research, and twice as much paper writing than the typical person holding a bachelor's degree. I was also one of the top graduates from both departments, and I earned honors from both departments. The communication studies department was kind of a windfall. Their department takes the students with the top GPA, prints their names out, and then the professors kind of put check marks and select the students who demonstrated the most depth of knowledge and were the most prepared and active in class. So I was nominated by several professors despite not really having the best GPA. 
uh, obtaining honors from the sociology department, however, was a lot more rigorous. I had to apply for an entirely separate honors program that I had to do on top of my regular coursework. So for my last year in college, I had to complete an entire like mini research project. I formulated a hypothesis supported by a substantial lit review, then submitted a research proposal to, to research it. Then I spent the rest of the year gathering data, crunching statistics, and writing up a 40-page proposal on my findings and interpretations of the data. Then I had to put it all together in a PowerPoint, a 45-minute PowerPoint presentation that I had to present to my peers and department faculty. Of course, this was all on top of my regular coursework, volunteering and working full-time to pay my way through school. Because neither of my parents had graduated college, nor could they afford to pay for my education. But they did always um, encourage and support me in every way that they could. And so I sort of understood from an early age that some people had special privileges, and I just wasn't one of them. <laughs> Uh, my parents always reinforced to me that the only way for me to get ahead in life was to get an education. So for me, college wasn't just about getting some words on a piece of paper. I knew that even if I got an education, that I still needed connections to people who were going to help get me a good career. And man, while I was in college, I hit up every fucking resource on that campus. I was at the Multicultural Center, the Financial Aid Office, Leadership Development Department, Scholarship Office, Education Opportunity Program for first-generation college students who have historically low-income and low-education backgrounds. I joined the Sociology Student Association, the Communication Studies Student Association. I was president of our belly dance team. I joined Salsa Club, Break Dancing Club, and even the Juggling Club. Then on my days off, uh, I was attending community organizing workshops. I walked on picket lines for low-wage workers facing discrimination and harassment and unsafe working conditions. I canvassed and phone banked for living wage measures. And I, led I even got to lead campaign to help make it easier for working class families to be involved in local politics. Uh, my partner at the time was also going to the same college and working. He was finishing up his bachelor's degree in philosophy and getting his teaching credential. So every night we would come home and we would piece together our little tidbits of knowledge about the world. I brought the social dynamics, the interpersonal communication, and the large-scale social structures, while he brought centuries of thought and theory around cohesive ethical systems, human nature, and what it means to be a humane, compassionate, and responsible adult. And of course, I did all of this while having a ridiculously crazy sex life. <laughs> I don't know how we did it, but in between work and school, we still made time for our community. We made time to be part of our kink community. We made time for events. BDSM clubs, play parties, sex parties, orgies, and all the things that, that are all the necessary investments that you need to maintain deep and meaningful and lasting relationships within a poly community. And so after all that, I ended up being one of the top two graduates in the entire College of Liberal Arts, and I was one of the top nine graduates of my entire graduating class for 2015. So I say all this. I'm not, I don't say this, I'm not bragging or trying to like pat myself on the back. I worked my ass off in college and not because I'm some snotty overachiever or even because I really wanted to. I did it because I fucking had to. I have just always been very aware of social inequity and injustice, even as a kid. I just, I knew that there was no other way for me to get out of poverty. I knew that I was going to have to work twice as hard for half as much. And, and my fucking kinky fantasies and all that shit, that sure as hell wasn't going anywhere either. So, <laughs> so my, my point with all this is I'm qualified. 
I am not a doctor. I'm not here to diagnose anything or how you have to live your life. But I am, often to my own detriment, <laughs> a lot more transparent than most. And I'm definitely qualified to talk about safely navigating sex, kink, and having ethical accountability. The other reason that I, I wanted to share all this with you and why I'll be, I'll be sharing a lot of details with you about my past and who I am uh, is so that you can understand my worldview or, or like my lens. And some people call it a bias, but I prefer to call it a lens because we all have one and it's not a bad thing. And actually, when we put our lenses together, I believe we can discover a lot of patterns that we might not have been able to see by ourselves. So the problem to me isn't having a lens, it's when people are not honest about their lens. <laughs> Especially right now with all this fucking fake news and grabbing women by the pussy bullshit, I've been really wondering why no one was talking about ethics. I said to myself, what happened to integrity? You know, integrity, being upfront with your motivations and your intentions, is no one gonna talk about ethics or integrity? And then I realized, well, I guess it's gonna have to be me then. Guess that person's gonna have to be me. <laughs> so some of you might be thinking, well, philosophy, ethics, what, what does this all have to do with kink? What does it have to do with kinky sex? Well, I would say that when I'm naked, I'm pretty much at my most physically and emotionally vulnerable. I really hope that the person that's fucking with me is ethical. Ethics, they're, they're not like some, some family relic that's just collecting dust on a back shelf. We are living our values every day. Every decision we make is a reflection on our values. Every action we take is an embodiment of our values and the things that we think are right and wrong. And so in doing my part to try to, to further and promote integrity and, and positive ethics, I'm going to try to, during this whole podcast, I'm really going to try to be as transparent as possible about my background and where my views come from. So some important things to know about me um, are, number one, an important thing to know about me is that thinking and talking about philosophy, ethics, and social responsibility, it's not a choice for me. Uh, these things have just, they've been on the forefront of everything that I've grown up and had to experience and deal with. I learned about compassion and responsibility very early on in life. My family on my dad's side is just filled with people whose only mistake is loving the wrong person for way too long. Kind, loving, good-hearted people who just poured their heart and soul into people and organizations that simply didn't return the favor. Um, and watching good people suffer constantly by people abusing their power, it just, um, it was just, I, I had to do something about it, right? And so some of, like, some of the memories that stand out for me, to put this all in context, um, so when I was six years old, my parents got divorced, uh, I was an only child, and they, and at six years old, they let me decide which parent I was going to live with. And so I ended up staying with my dad because he had a stable job and was already living there and all those things. So, but I will, I'll never, I'll never forget this moment. Um, it was really, really shortly after my mom left. She moved on for maybe a few months. And I remember I was putting in my room, just being a kid, and my dad comes and he like, he's kind of like in the door frame and he's like, hey, are, are, are you okay? Like, what are you, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm just playing. And he's like, oh, and he kind of creeps in a little closer. He's like, are, are you okay? How are you feeling? You know? And I was like, well, I'm fine. I'm just being a kid, you know? Uh, and he's like, well, you know, do, 
Do you miss your mom at all? My friends always sit down next to me. And I'm like, well, I mean, not really. I mean, you know, like sometimes, but I mean, you know, she calls, she writes letters, you know, she sends me gifts. Like, it's, it's okay, you know? And he's like, oh. And he's just like fiddling with his fingers and he's looking down and he just goes, because I miss her every day and I don't know what to do. And he just started crying right there in front of me. And I remember being six years old, you know, seeing seeing my dad, who's supposed to be the representation of all things like powerful and strong, just seeing, you know, seeing him so hurt and so sad. And and I didn't know what to do. You know, I was only six and so I and I felt sad. I knew this was a sad thing. I didn't know what was going on, but I knew it was sad. And I didn't know what to do. And so I just started crying and I hugged him and we just we hugged each other, you know, until we stopped crying. And I will never forget that moment because that was the moment that I learned that there's no such thing as adults. At that moment, I realized that my parents, you know, all are, you know, at the time, my representation of all power and authority, um, that my parents were just kids like me. You know, they felt pain, they suffered, and they didn't have any more answers to these tough questions than I did. I learned that there was no ultimate authority who has all the answers and that all strength had its limitations. Uh, another moment that's permanently impressed upon me is, is the value of compassion. And even though my mom wasn't around, you know, um, as I was growing up, the, the short time that she was around in my early childhood really did leave some deep impressions and really did plant some really core things. Uh, specifically, I remember when I was in kindergarten and I remember you know, when, when you're a kid, there's there's always those kids that kind of get picked on in school, you know, maybe like the smelly ones, or the fat ones, or something like that. And so I remember I was on the playground, and a bunch of kids were running around teasing some of the other kids. And I remember my mom grabbing me by the arm, and she says, you get over here. She says, you are not going to hang out with those kids. You are not going to be one of those kids that teases other people. She says, you know what, those kids over there, they all need friends. She says, I don't care if they're smelly or if they're fat, you're going to be their friend because everybody needs a friend. And I didn't, I didn't fully understand this at the time. I just, but, you know, I was just kind of like, oh, mom, you know, like, but, you know, um, but I remembered that. I definitely remembered that. And it, and she, I don't, you know, that was something that even though I didn't get it at the time, it definitely planted a seed, um, a seed of compassion and remembering that, that everybody else has feelings and hurts just like you do. I would say the last memory that really stands out for me too, that really drove home the idea of compassion is uh, a lot of time I spent with my grandmother when I was a kid. My grandmother should own the house right next to us and so I would spend a lot of time at her house. And I remember, uh, so at the time my grandma was like 65, I thought she was so old and she would go and take care of other little old ladies. And I was like, why is my, my grandma taking care of other little old ladies? Um, and specifically she would take care of this one woman named Mrs. Woody and this is Woody lived down the street. And so uh, she would make me go over with her when she would go take care of Mrs. Woody. And I hated going to Mrs. Woody's house. I hated it. Uh, she was bedridden. She was huge. She was, she smelled. She was a hoarder. And she was mean as fuck, dude. And she was mean. She wasn't even a nice person. Like, uh, and I remember every time we'd go over, as soon as we would open the door, you could hear her just screeching from the bedroom. Maria! just screeching at my grandmother, fucking ordering around like a slave, demanding all these things, you know? And my grandmother would do it, you know? She would cook for her, she would clean for her, feed her, bathe her, wash her, read stories to her, put perfume on her, you know? 
make her feel pretty, make her feel comfortable, you know, make her feel like a person again. Um, and it really wasn't a second thought for my grandma, you know. Um, Mrs. Woody had no family or children who cared to be around her. Uh, and in my grandmother's mind, you know, someone had to take care of her. Someone had to love her. And so every day, walking into that vile woman's house, I learned the value of having compassion for others. And I also learned that not everyone will return it to you. Just because you give it does not mean that you will get it back. And so all of these things combined have really led for my disdain for abuses of power. I've grown up seeing unethical and incompetent people over and over again climbing into important social positions only to abuse their power and not and not use it to benefit anybody but themselves. I just I remember as kids, you know, my friends would show me their bruises from being hit by their step parents with wooden spoons. I remember in high school wondering why we celebrated Christopher Columbus Day when we knew that discovered was just another word for genocide. And I remember not understanding in college why we paid our belly dance coach to host an advanced dance class that no students were enrolled in. From work, school, politics, even the kink community, I've seen people abuse their power over and over again. My working class background, coupled with my degree in sociology and communication studies, make it almost impossible for me to not speak out against blatant abuses of power. I know I. I wouldn't say that I have a, a problem with authority, but I do ask a lot of real questions. And when I ask a genuine question, I expect a genuine and real response. And you know what? For me, authority, it needs to come with merit, not just credentials, and it sure as hell better come with more than because I said so. I just, I, I despise being told what to do by people who are incompetent, unethical, or both. And frankly, I don't think anybody else should have to put up with that kind of abuse or crap either. So personally, I believe that when you're in a position of power and you're responsible for other people, that their care matters more than your comfort. And well, I'm not gonna lie, it's gotten me into a little bit of trouble, uh, but you know what? It's definitely kept me out of a whole hell of a lot more trouble. So that's all I've got for you guys today. Um, thank you so much for listening. So this was my first introduction, uh, trying to explain to you exactly what this podcast is about, why I think it's important and, um, giving you a better idea of who I am. So thank you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting the KW1 podcast and stay tuned for episode number two, where I'm going to be talking about feminism and we'll be exploring a little deeper about my relationships with other women. And as always, I don't know you, but I love you. You there listening to me, I'm talking to you. I don't know you, but I love you. You're important, you matter, and I couldn't do any of this without you and your support. And because of you, my life is a better place. So thank you. Thank you for being who you are and thank you for listening to my show. And I look forward to having another podcast with you. Thank you so much.